Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is recorded in the Gospel history according to the evangelist Luke in chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. He said to them, How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is the gospel history of our Lord. What about the dinosaurs? I get asked this by people who are new to Christianity or investigating, and I got asked this a lot in the days before I was a pastor by co-workers. Well, if they lived in water, they were created on day five. If they lived on the land, they were created on day six. It's apparent that most of them were wiped out during the flood. Some of them still exist like crocodiles. Oh. What about Stonehenge? Why doesn't the scriptures mention the pyramids? By the way, as a side note, it was Christian leader who was almost the leader of a cult sect came up with the idea that the slaves, the Israelite slaves built those pyramids. The scripture never says that. It really doesn't mention them at all. Well, what about the Aztec and Mayan civilizations that existed over here in America? Lots of times we get asked questions about things because people don't understand the point of the scriptures. Bookstores, Christian bookstores are filled with things like the Bible diet. That actually detracts from the main message of scripture. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when Jesus walked with those Emmaus disciples, we are told in verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's what they called what you and I called the Old Testament, but it wasn't called the Old Testament then because it was the scriptures. Jesus walks them through everything that the scriptures had to say about him. You see, Christ is the center of scripture. It's what it's all about. And so our sermon theme for today is the scriptures are all about Christ. And we're simply going to apply that message. Now, if the scriptures are all about Christ... Wouldn't we be foolish to detract from what they have spoken? Sadly, Christians get confused and they start dividing up the scriptures as if they weren't inspired and denying things and, and they miss the whole entire point. Even strange stories like Esther, where if you think about it, if the king had allowed the Jewish people to be wiped out, there would be no savior. Even strange stories like Esther are really about the coming of the savior. But as I said, we would be foolish to detract from what they have spoken. And yet, if you could build a time machine and go back to that Easter Sunday, the first one, the one where Jesus rose, is this how you would think is the wisest way to go about letting people know you've defeated sin, death, and the devil? The women discover the empty tomb and then you appear to them along the way? leading them to be blessed to be the first evangelist, but it's pretty clear that the Emmaus disciples were scratching their heads. And oh, Wouldn't you appear to Pilate and the Sanhedrin? Wouldn't you appear on the temple and scream, I've defeated sin, death, and the devil. I have risen. Your sins are forgiven. 
Instead, these two guys, they're not even the inner core of disciples. They're not apostles. These two guys walking seven miles, which would take about two hours. Two guys walking along just discussing, has he risen? He was supposed to redeem Israel. Was his he even hides himself so he can have that conversation. Is that how you would go about telling the world the wonderful victory that the tomb is empty so your tombs will be empty? That's not the way we would do it, is it? But even the way Jesus did that was to serve that central fact that all of the scriptures is about Christ and it's foolish to detract from it. Let's make some applications besides things like the Bible diet. Let's make some very personal applications that can happen in any congregation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a lack of organization can make a mess, can't it? It can actually detract from Christ when Sidewalks aren't shoveled, parking lots aren't plowed so people can come and hear about Christ. And when you don't have any organization, it starts falling on one or two people's shoulders. They can start running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And quickly, like the Mary and Martha situation where the one says, Lord, tell my sister to help me. You're doing what's good, but she's doing what's even better. Lack of organization can certainly detract from the centrality of Christ and the whole reason why our congregation exists. But you know, the opposite can happen with organization. We can get so hyper-focused on being organized and making sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed and we have a rule for every possible circumstance that we couldn't even possibly foresee coming that we can completely take our eyes off of the fact that we exist to proclaim Christ crucified and risen. One example from a church I belong to as a lame. I remember sitting through a voters meeting and it's called Robert's Rules of Order, which are meant to give order to organization meetings such as voters meetings, where 75% of the meeting was spent as people kept discussing whether or not they were properly following Robert's Rules of Order. We were there to discuss in stewardship the blessings, the physical gifts of the Lord had given to us for the proclamation of his word and the support therein. And we spent 75% of the meeting making sure, well, now emotions got to be made. Now, do we do this? Do we do that? It detracted from being about the Lord's business, which is exactly what they were supposed to not be doing. They were supposed to be causing organization. So sometimes, whether it's a disorganization or an organization, we got to be careful as, as a visible gathering of the Lord's flock that those do not detract from Christ. But we have gathered to worship, haven't we, brothers and sisters in Christ? We have gathered to hear the good news of forgiveness and that Christ has risen. And so a lot of people can get focused on the wrong thing, though. We have a liturgy that's designed to aid us in that worship, a liturgy that is not the Scriptures, Yet, it was ironed out by the Christian church using the better part of wisdom and time now for over 2,000 years. And in fact, it's older than that because what they borrowed from was an outline of what was being done in the synagogue for uh, 300 years before Christ took on human flesh. How beautiful it is when you think about that, that it's designed that we begin making sure that we know the God we're worshiping. We confess our sins to that God and are assured that by his life, death and resurrection, they're forgiven. We go into lessons. We have that applied to us in the sermon. It crescendos to that. It decrescendos as we're getting ready to go out in the world that we pray to the Lord to strengthen us in that world. 
and we depart with that blessing. How beautiful that is, but we can detract from that, can't we? If suddenly you have to be the quietest person when you come in and you've got to step the right way, you've got to bow and cross yourself and genuflect. And, and, and all, we can get so caught up in sprinkling out incense and everything that while we're here to worship God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can get so hung up on going through the motions and acting pious and reverent that the one thing we're not doing is worshiping the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They can detract from that. Detract from the centrality that God became a man and washed your sins away. Ah, but the opposite can happen as well. People say, I don't believe in organized religion. Well, that leaves one other option, disorganized religion. Can you imagine gathering in a disorganized way to try to focus on Christ crucified? Who's going to speak? Who's going to read? What lessons are we even going to read lessons? You've heard me say in sermons past and in Bible study, I always remember uh, attending a service where the pastor preached for quite a long time, a pretty lengthy sermon, trying to get me, who was already a Christian, to make my decision for Christ. Now, there's Bible passages already that show that was the wrong thing. And 30, 20, 25, 30 minutes in that first sermon, it's like, when does this thing end? And then he launched into another one, doing the same thing of nearly the same length, and then another one. And by the time we were with the fourth one, I was not there. My body physically was. And I began to wonder, is this going to end? This is turning into torture. It's too disorganized. We can turn around and say, but what I want, I want entertainment, I want, and, and guess who quickly is being worshipped? It's not the centrality of Christ, it's our own ego. Maintenance and buildings, it's beautiful, it's wonderful to have this building. And I really have to compliment the members of our congregation, especially with the winter we've had, who, and I really mean this as a compliment, they kept us from being detracted by themselves making sure that the, the damaged roof things and, 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 the, and the parking lot was taken care of. But, you know, it's wonderful to have a building where it's warm or it's air-conditioned in the summertime so that we do not get detracted from worshiping on Christ. But if you have a building that constantly needs maintenance and you don't have people who are willing to volunteer, which is not the case here. But can you see how quickly that would detract us from Christ when it would seem that our gathering together would be to, get to, to fix a problem in, in, in a parking lot uh, in, instead of those are meant to get us here so that they can serve the focusing on Christ? But, you know, if we didn't have a building, can you think about how if that's all we had, we would be glorifying God? But I... I I think that if we were sitting out in the wintertime, gathered like in my driveway in folding chairs, bucking 65 mile an hour winds, zero degrees outside, somehow I think those would detract us from hearing Christ. And sometimes we could say, get to the point, give us the cliff notes of the sermon, pastor. I'm shivering out here. Isn't it amazing what a razor's edge we actually walk? To not detract from what those scriptures have spoken that's all about Christ. And even fellowship. God has made us brothers and sisters in Christ. That only comes by the centrality of Christ. For I am engrafted to Christ by my new man because of the Holy Spirit. And you are engrafted to Christ by your new man as a branch is to the vine. And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that is even more special than literally having our parents' DNA running through us in a regular family. Fellowship. 
united in Christ. What a beautiful picture. And yet fellowship can detract us at the same time. It's not a sin for a church to have a bowling league or a basketball league or a softball league. But if we think we're worshiping God doing those things, those are fellowship activities. And we don't have to necessarily, if we do have a bowling league, we don't have to sanitize it by making sure that every time we gather, we spend an hour studying the Bible. But we've got to recognize those aren't worship. But you know, when we recognize we're united in Christ, we can also see what Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses, especially in the epistle to the Corinthians and the one to the Romans, where the weak. I was worshiping that God last week, and now we've gathered in fellowship, and you're offering me T-bone steaks. That the Part of that cow was, was, was dedicated to Zeus, who I worshiped last week. I don't feel good about this. Just eat it, or you're going to hurt my feelings. Yes. We can detract from Christ when the strong run roughshod over the weak or vice versa. When the weak say, I'm weak, so I get to have it my way and you'd better cowtell to it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sadly, there's many ways we can detract. And in a big way that often happens is when our own sinful nature says, why do we have to know this stuff? You take a look at how much detail the Old Testament uses to spell out the sacrifices. And they weren't just for sin. There was a fellowship sacrifice, which if we study it, can help us understand how the Lord's Supper even unites us in fellowship. But if we say, why do I need to know this stuff? Well, what did Jesus do with the Emmaus disciples? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he walked them through for nearly two hours of connecting the dots. God wanted us to know that stuff. Now, if you don't completely know that stuff, does that mean you can know Christ and still be saved? Yes, but how beautifully it enhances it. And let's admit it. When we study in the scriptures, guys like Abraham, where if you think that guy was called by God out of a perfectly holy family and then just was a shining example of perfect holiness, you haven't read the Bible. We apply those because we say, wow, Abraham struggled. Sometimes it was one step forward, a great peak moment in, in his face shining through, and then he just totally belly flopped two steps back. So we see the scriptures are all about Christ, how foolishly we detract from what they have spoken. But the reverse of that is how wisely we cling to what they have spoken. Ah, God picked Abraham up and washed him with the blood of, of his coming son and sent him back in there just like he does for us. And it's amazing. We spent eight weeks, we, we spent two Sundays after Lent, focusing on one prophecy about the coming of our Savior as recorded by the prophet Isaiah. Now, a lot of people claim that this stuff was all made up and everything. Do you know, this is one of the neat things, the oldest existing scroll of Isaiah that contains that prophecy dates to 300 B.C. Yes, one of the Qumran scrolls that were, that, that were uh, written of, uh, that were Isaiah is 2,300 years old, 300 years before God took on human flesh. Now, we can understand why God did not preserve the original one that Isaiah wrote with his own pen, because we would worship it, we would turn it into, a, into an idol uh, and, and falsely use it. But the fact that this thing 300 years exists, now Isaiah writing 700, 650 years before Christ took on human flesh tells you, yeah, you can bank on these prophecies about Christ. How comforting. 
I always spend time talking with my catechism kids when I teach them about this. And we spend some time talking about this with people when, when they take the Bible class for Bible basics. Because lots of times when you get Christians, even lifelong Christians, and you ask them, what's the difference between the Old and the New Testament? They confusedly say, in the Old Testament, God's an angry God. And in the New Testament, God's a loving God. Uh, did you read about Jesus clearing out the temple? Did you read about God coming to Adam and Eve after they fell into sin and promising them a savior or Abraham or look at Judah? Judah of the brothers gets to be the guy who, who the savior is going to come through when he thinks he's hiring a prostitute that's his daughter-in-law in disguise. It's all about salvation. The Old Testament's message is the Savior is coming from the fall into sin all the way till the last scripture is written. And the message of the New Testament is the Savior has come. It's all about Christ, which means it's all about God saving you. It's not about Bible diets and dinosaurs and the world history of every empire. It's about the history of salvation, which is centraled around Christ. Now, recognizing that the whole overall thing is about Christ and he's the center of it, it helps us answer questions like, why did God, who knows all things, allow Adam and Eve to fall? The scripture doesn't blatantly say in one verse, and here's why God allowed Adam and Eve to fall. But even if you didn't have the New Testament, it's spelled out clearly because God had a plan to deal with it. God, in his wisdom, thought the best plan was that he would take on human flesh and fix it. And... Even in today's gospel lesson, which our sermon text is a part of, we can stop and say, why didn't the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to record Jesus' sermon that day? Oh, if he'd have done that. How many times when people say, Pastor, I, I, why do I have to know this Old Testament stuff? Why do we even study it? You know, the early Christian church began to think that way. And by the medieval church, they didn't even read the scriptures. And of course, if you went to church, it was in a different language unless you went to college. So you didn't even understand what was going on. The best you had was to look at Bible pictures. Why didn't the Holy Spirit inspire the evangelist Luke to write that two-hour sermon down so we could connect all those dots so readily? And Scripture doesn't say this is why the Holy Spirit, in His wisdom, chose not to have Luke write it down. But we can easily, by using the Scriptures and knowing Christ is the center, figure out because he wanted you to search those scriptures. You can read the Old Testament. You can read the New Testament. You have the key. You can go to Bible study about that, hear sermons on it, and you can see how Christ is the center of the whole entire thing. So what about evangelism, brothers and sisters in Christ? I have to admit to you, I've been guilty in the past of studying how to do evangelism to prepare for evangelism so that I could share the good news of salvation with my neighbor. And then that book recommended one other book, so I read that book, and then that book recommended. And pretty soon I realized I was studying evangelism but not doing evangelism. So often people give lame excuses who never really have done evangelism. I'm burned out from doing it. You're burned out from telling people they have a Savior? It's amazing how we can take the centrality off of Christ when our neighbor needs Christ. I've often said I think I was a better evangelist when I was a child than I am now knowing as much of the scriptures as I do. Because when I was a child, I would turn to my friends like on Saturday and say, Hey, want to come to Sunday school with me? And you know, I never got nailed to a cross for doing that. I never got beat up for doing that. 
Today, I try to make it complicated and figure out ways to argue. Hey, sounds like you've got a problem. Can I take it to my Savior in prayer? We get nervous and afraid to do what is so simple. If Christ is the center of the scriptures, then just like he did with the Emmaus disciples, you start explaining to our neighbor. Let me tell you a story about the original humans. They had it perfect. They had paradise. They literally had heaven on earth because God even walked and talked with them. Then one day, an angel who fell, who had rebelled against God, probably within hours of his rebellion, came to do something terrible. Ah, they believed him, but God promised. God promised that the seed of the woman, and the Hebrew word used for seed is what a man provides for a baby. That would come and he would destroy the work of the devil. He would crush his head. How beautifully we can lay out John 3.16. How wisely we cling to what they have spoken. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God chose not to appear to the apostles right away. He would that evening. He chose to appear to the Emmaus disciples and explain the scriptures, hid himself from them so he could do it and let it register. We have many questions, but the truth of the matter is we've gathered today because the scriptures are all about Christ and we're here to worship Christ. And so we work very hard and pray that we do not fall into the folly of detracting from that centrality of the scriptures, what they have spoken. And we pray to the Lord and we desperately cling and by gathering around his word, we're empowered to wisely cling to what they have spoken about Christ, who is the center of those scriptures. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.